Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today is a really fun day because we actually have a part one and a part two for my conversation with Bridget Bradford. So we did not go into this conversation expecting a part one and part two. But it went so well and so long that I didn't want to just pull all into one episode because there's a lot here. She talks with a lot of candor and very eloquently about her process of having a very um, just trying marathon at Mountains to Beach where she had her first DNF. She pulled out at mile 18. And if you've ever run more than one race, and maybe even just one is enough, then you know how it feels to have that crushing race. You put all this time and effort preparing both mentally, but physically, emotionally. You're talking about it with your friends, your peers, your running group, um, coworkers, what have you. And then to have that crushing race, it really can be destabilizing. So she had that. She had that at Mountains to Beach, and a year before that, in 2017, she had a similar experience in Boston, but she fought through it. She finished the race. Mountains to Beach, 2018, she didn't. And she didn't let that get to her. She got back up. She signed up for another marathon just five weeks later, and she set up a new PR. And we talk a lot about her history, her running history, just her mindset, how she thinks, how she approaches things in all areas of her life, how that affected her running. And part one is the lead up. Part one is the backstory. It's Boston Marathon 2017. It's Mountains to Beach 2018. It's the process that she goes with her coach and the things that he stresses and the things that she tries to gain from that. But the push and pull of her natural mindset with his more holistic approach and That's what part one is. Part two, I'm going to release next Monday, is going to be uh, kind of like the second part of the story. Basically, it's kind of how she rebounded from Mountains to Beach, what she did in the five weeks before Cascade, how Cascade went, and what she learned. So I hope you like this episode with Bridget Bradford, and I hope if you like this one that you'll tune into part two next week. Hello, Bridget, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, man, I am excited to talk to you. That's for sure, because you recently had a race experience that was one that I can absolutely relate to and one that I think anyone who's ever raced more than one race can absolutely has gone through a similar experience. So I'm so excited to chat with you today. So again, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited. Let me just set the stage, if you don't mind. Um, of course, yeah. I'm going to read a a tweet that you put out on, <laughs> okay. on June 30th, 2018. So just a few weeks ago. It says, yeah. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> Five weeks after a DNF at, at Mountains to Beach, I had the race of my dreams this morning. What changed? I focused on having fun. Turns out that positivity really is the best performance enhancer. First of all, congratulations. It doesn't say in here, but what was the race that you did? Thanks. It was the the Cascade Marathon. I think that's what they're calling it. They're 
other people were calling it the super marathon, but I think it's called the cascade marathon. It's up um, just outside of Seattle in this like beautiful park. It's actually technically a trail race, although it ran fast, like a road race would. Okay. Got it. All right. So before we get into kind of your backstory and your lead up into mountains to beach, uh, what was the time gap between mountains to beach and this cascade marathon? Oh my gosh. Well, see, I only made it to mile 18 of mountains to beach and I was like very unhappy by mile 10. Um, and like on the road crying to my teammate at mile 18. Um, so, and I mean, my pace was just, I, I think I, well, I started off too hot, which is my perpetual problem. Um, and then just faded. I mean, I was hurting by mile six. Um, and so I actually haven't even looked, I, I, my Strava is public, um, and I can go in and, um, if you want to add it to the show notes or something, but uh, yeah, it was just a bad race from, from the start for me. And then uh, Cascade was just a total different experience. I felt great through mile 10. I saw my boyfriend at mile 18, which was just perfect because that's where I had dropped out. And I remember like yelling at him, I feel amazing. Um, <laughs> and like, I've never felt good at mile 20. I actually felt like good enough to take a gel, which has always been my problem at mile 20. I feel like in every race I'm struggling so much that like, I can't even like force my arm to like grab the gel and open it. Um, in this race, I was like, oh, I can totally do that. Um, and ended up coming out with a, a 324, which is a, a 10 minute PR for me. Whoa, 10 minute PR. That is huge. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. It was, but I had to kind of completely let go of, of all expectations, I think, to get there. Um, so I think at Mountains to Beach, I was kind of shooting more for like a 319. And that was probably, you know, maybe on the best day. And when I was in my like best kind of positive mental place I probably could have could have gotten there um but definitely wasn't there mentally or physically um at Mountains to Beach and then it just went downhill from there um you know how quickly things can go downhill if you start off a race in the wrong mentality especially a long race like a marathon that's for sure um (laughs) and you don't hear many people in a marathon who it goes downhill and they're like but i picked it back up and finished strong totally doesn't happen doesn't happen a whole lot with marathon seems like ultra marathoners are able to have those cathartic moments that that, that end up bouncing back but it feels like i don't know any marathoners been like yeah i was bad at 18 but boy man mile 23 felt awesome right I think that's so true and I think with ultras it's like you know you can have a dark part at like mile 30 or mile 40 and then you can kind of like come back from it but if you're just like out the gun you know by mile six if it's an ultra or a 10k or I guess a 10k you're done but um half like anything it's it's gonna it's it's not a good place to be (laughs) no that's for sure so when was your Let's just let's go back in time. Yeah. Here. So, yeah. what what is when did your running background? Uh, what did that look like? When did you start running uh, in earnest? Yeah. So, I mean, high school, I was a sprinter. Loved the short stuff. I think I'm kind of built with that, like that in my muscles more. Like the short stuff just makes a lot more sense. I think I'm a little bit stockier, and I tend to like my body looks more like a sprinter. But as you get older, like I wasn't good enough to run in college, and so then it just kind of but I still loved running. And so I just kind of found myself, you know, jogging slightly longer and longer distances, like three miles, five miles, six miles, um, and had a good group of friends that were doing that. Um, One of those friends was starting to dabble into marathons. um, And so after college, actually kind of in like a drunken bet was like, hey, I'm going to put us in for the lottery at the uh, Nike Women's Marathon, which at the time, 
I think they just do a half marathon now, but they were doing a full marathon in, um, in San Francisco. And I thought like, yeah, 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 that sounds great. Thinking that we'd never get into the lottery. And then we got in and I thought, oh no, okay, <laughs> now I've got to do this thing. And it was off. I'm mean, like, it was, it was very painful. I think I underestimated the distance, even though I had done the training. Um, it just like that first time out, I just, it was a lot. And San Francisco's hilly, which I kind of didn't understand. I kind of had a concept of like, oh, there are mountain runners. And like, this isn't a mountain race, but those hills in San Francisco, they add up. Um, and so I think I had like, a, I ran a 420 some, uh, four hours and 20 minutes. Um, but at the end of it, I was like, I want to do that again. I think I could do better. Um, so, so I got to ask you a question. So what yeah. was the time between that drunken night entering the lottery <laughs> yeah. and the start of the race? Like, what, do, do you have a, do you yeah. have a proper buildup? Um, yeah. So I did, I, we did 12 weeks, which I think is, is fine if you already have a base, but I mean, I was starting with like, oh, I can run like, you know, five miles, um, pretty slowly. And I just wasn't, I wasn't in a mindset of being a long distance runner. You know, the first time I did, I ran 13 miles was a half marathon in that build. And I was think. I remember saying to my mom the night before, I was like, I'm just going to go out and like, see if I can run 13 miles. Like that concept was just so foreign to me. Like, could I even do that? And I think the first, you know, your first marathon for me was much more about like, can I do this? Um, and having a friend there who had done it before, I was like, okay, yes, I can. And the only, my only goal was just not to walk um, and manage to achieve that. And so that felt like, okay, um, now like how, if I trained properly, if I started to run really consistently, how could I, um, how fast could I, could I kind of run, run this? So did you fall in love with the marathon during that race or was it more the training that kind of got you to that point? I think it was both. Like I really liked the training. I loved like starting to feel like a runner, you know, you kind of start to, um, to be able to participate in this community and, and, um, you know, kind of joining, or I think at that point I was on doing, uh, map my run and now I'm a total Strava nerd, but, um, you I got kind of excited and intrigued and pulled in and it felt like oh this is a this is this is what running can be as an adult and I think I was kind of craving that um at that time in my life it kind of felt like when you graduate from college you get your first job there aren't any more of those kind of moments in life where there's like a very clear defined finish line where you're like oh I can put in all this effort there is like a a clear goal and a date that we're going to achieve this thing and and then I get a medal like I get to like celebrate this you know this and um and racing kind of was that and I was I was definitely craving that and I still do so I think I just like loved the process of like putting in the work and then having that day of like celebrating um all of that effort and like having a like an actual finish line and how big was was the community element for you I know out in the west coast especially in your area it seems like there are just so many running groups that are so well attended and people really get into it. Did that play into either into your time at that moment or your current running? Yeah. So I think at the time it was like really exciting, but also super intimidating. So, you know, the friend that I trained with, like she was kind of the only one that I would run with. And I think part of that was just feeling like I'm not good enough. I don't I'm not fast enough. I don't know what to expect. Um, And so I kind of watched from afar, like I was very aware. And I think I've always kind of been like a student of running and I kind of love it. And every time I run a race, every time I kind of feel, I guess, confident in my performance, I feel like I kind of am able to more and more. Um, So 
I think at the beginning it was kind of that watch from afar and like hope that at some point I can kind of feel confident enough to to be a part of these communities and then slowly over time just being more and more confident in like how I run and what it means to to run with people and how like those dynamics work and basically how nobody cares like you know everybody just for the most part wants to go out and have a good time um then it became a much more about like being a active member of the the community and certainly in the past like year and a half um joining a team like that really made a big difference and the team is is spread out but there are certainly a lot of of runners in the bay area so that's that's made it really fun which team are you part of now so I'm coached by David Roach um, and his team. He's actually much more of like an ultra trail runner. Um, and he has a team called SWAP um, and the acronym stands for some work all play. Oh, that sounds, that sounds beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually just perfect for me. I think the going back to something that you said earlier about like ultra runners kind of being able to like ebb and flow between like pain and, and go back and forth. Like I think trail runners have, um, I mean, you just look at the, the pictures from uh, from Western states this past year, like they're smiling and it is like 100 degrees and they're running 100 miles. And like the winners, both of them, Courtney De- DeWalter and, and Jim Walmsley are like, they look like they're having a blast. They look like they're just like out running with friends. And I think having a coach that has that mentality has like really, really helped helped me because I'm certainly someone who can put a lot of like pressure on myself and get way too serious and in my head. Yeah, I saw those pictures too. Um, I saw them in the moment. Yeah, and I'm looking at those pictures, and I'm like, I'm like calling BS on my like, as I'm looking through my my Twitter account. I'm like, no, you're not yeah. smiling at 65 miles in to like one of like the hardest races around. Like, there's just no way. But then you look at it, and you're like, I don't know, because you hear them on a podcast, like they're basically echoing the exact mindset that you saw them in the picture. Yeah. Maybe they are. I don't know. Like, yeah, I know how I feel. Like, I don't know. Like I ran 10 miles this morning and I was not smiling near the end. (laughs) And that was a lot less than what they ran. And I ran on a flat, even trail in the shade. I know. Like these people are out of their minds. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I volunteer, like I volunteered at the, uh, the North face 50 miler. And like, I can tell you when there's no aid station around and I'm just telling them to turn left or right, they're smiling. Um, but it's, it, it, yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. And it's something that I kind of like, I struggle with. Like I, I talk to, to my teammates and I'm like, how do you, how are you running a hundred miles? And you're just like having a grand old time. And I'm like <laughs> struggling and, and, you know, DNFing at mile 18 of a, of a marathon, but uh, I think it is, I think there's something about like the different, the different systems and the, the different like approach and mentality. I mean, you look at, at those guys in there or guys and girls, I think they're running much slower. They're comfortable with like hiking and walking. They're stopping for a long time at aid stations. Like they're able to eat, which to me just indicates that like, if you're able to like eat a burrito or like eat a cookie, like you're not working as hard as, or you're kind of taxing a different system. You're not, you're not kicking into like your threshold and the lactic acid isn't really building up um, that whole time. Whereas, you know, with a marathon or any distance that's shorter, like you are, you're gunning, like you, your, your body doesn't have the energy um, to be able to digest, you know, anything more than, more than a gel if you're lucky. Yeah. It's just a different kind of pain. Yeah. Right. 
totally. I mean, you, I, I read all these books, yeah. um, the ultra marathoners, and then they, they even, they, they say it flat out. Like they'll compare like a marathon to an ultra and totally. they like, they make it sound like these are two different sports. Yeah. Like they're not even comparable in a way. Um, and I'm actually have some more ultra marathoners on the show soon to talk about that very thing. Cool. But yeah. it is interesting to hear, like to hear you, you know, hear you say that you were, you know, been at aid stations and watch them compete because you have that. So you have these, these people on your team, you're able yep. to talk with them about, you know, their experiences. You've seen the races up front and then you just talked about how like you put too much pressure on yourself. So that whole like internal pressurized zone that yeah. you put yourself through, is that something that um, is just something that you've kind of always dealt with when it comes to competition or stress, or is this something that's more running related? So, yeah, I think it's something I've always dealt with. I think I've always been, like, a pretty anxious person. And I think that definitely comes from, like, wanting to be a people pleaser. So when I was kind of growing up, like, I prided myself on being someone who was, like, uh, you know, a hard worker. Or people would say, like, oh, you're so coachable. Um, but I think that kind of meant that, like, I was just always, like, looking to them and being, like, am I doing good? Because I'll do whatever you want me to do. Um, and that works to a certain extent. But I also think that if you're, you know, running you can only push so hard and you kind of get into the overtraining place really quickly um and i think particularly with longer distances if you're kind of looking externally and being like am i making you proud am i doing what you want me to do that 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 eventually kind of breaks down if you don't if you don't have a good sense of like what your own why is or um you know kind of are are confident in your in your own ability because at some point in that race like you're by yourself and you have to be like in a pretty positive place to push through that pain otherwise it just feels like for me at least like the negativity gets can get going really quickly and this is what happened at mountains to beach where it was just like oh like people expect me to run you know a 319 i've i've talked about this being my a race you know to my teammates to my coach to my friends it's on instagram whatever and you know i i kind of know academically that nobody cares um but it doesn't feel that way when things start to go wrong and then i can you know it what it sounded like in my head was just like you're letting everyone down like you are you know this is disappointing therefore you are a disappointment um, and you know, you're, you're failing at this thing that you, you put a lot of time and effort into. So like, what is the point? Um, if you can't, if you can't perform here. Um, so there's, so for, in your mind, there there's a very small step between your failing and you are a failure. Exactly. Well, and, and I think that's the thing that I had to kind of work on between, uh, mountains to beach and, and, um, and cascade, but yeah, it, you know, it kind of, yeah, I think it was really hard for me to kind of like decouple who I am as a runner and, from like certain race performances. And I think that's, I think that's really problematic for, for anyone. Um, but especially if you're prone to kind of like to, to anxiety and you are a people pleaser, um, that that can be really, (laughs) uh, not a good place and not a place where you're going to, to end up running, running your best. Um, right. And when, and when did you decide to get a coach? When when did you start working with David? Yeah. So, um, this goes back to Boston 2017. So not the cold year, the hot year. Um, and, uh, I felt like, so leading up to this, I ran my first marathon in 2012. Then I ran, um, let's see, I ran four, four marathons and then qualified for Boston. Um, and I think all of those marathons, I was still just kind of figuring it out. There wasn't that much pressure. Like Boston kind of felt like a goal, but, um, I, I wasn't taking myself as seriously. And I think part of that was that 
like I was still kind of surrounding myself with people who were just kind of like awed by like oh you're running at all like you you can run a marathon like that in and of itself is incredible and it is and like I kind of hope I kind of need to remind myself to never forget that um but then after I qualified for Boston I think I started to like immerse myself more in the community be more active in the community and um for me, that's a double-edged sword because you kind of surround yourself with people who are like, oh, like, yeah, running, you know, qualifying for Boston is one thing, but like, why don't you try to run sub three or like, I've run this, I've run that, you know? And so it quickly becomes this thing of like, oh, well, I've got to be like better. I've got to try harder. Like, this is now like the, these are now like the benchmark and this is what I want to be able to do. And so leading into Boston, I, I was feeling all of that. I was in the best shape of my life, but then kind of didn't have the tools to understand that like, you can do all of that, but still like your mental game has to be there. And you also have to like respect the distance always and the weather. So for me, you know, I went out at Boston and I was like, I'm going to run this pace and I want this time. And by mile 10, I was puking and had a really awful 16 more miles to go. Um, because and what I, pace, what pace was that? So it was interestingly enough, I thought that I was in 325 shape, which is what I ended up running at Cascade, you know, more than a year later um, at that, at that time. Um, And I think, I think I probably, again, I think I probably could have run that if like, if the stars had aligned and everything had, had, had been great. So I kind of went out at like at that pace for the first few miles and then realized at, you know, mile six or seven, that that had been a a big mistake. (laughs) And, uh, and then had to, had to kind of swallow my pride and, and, and get to the finish line. Well, that's, that's a, that's a key thing, right? So you were puking at mile 10 of the marathon is yeah. not ideal. No. That's for sure. No. <laughs> puking at any mile in the marathon is not ideal. Puking yeah. at mile 10 certainly is not ideal. No. So what allowed you to fight through that? Yeah. And, you know, again, it was, it was a hot day. Mm-hmm. People forget that now because they, now they're thinking about 2018. But that was a hot day. It affected a lot of runners. So what were you doing mentally to -hmm. get you through the last 16? Yeah. So I think with that, I had like a lot of, um, I had my sister and and her boyfriend had come out to watch me and I knew like they were at the finish line. Um, And I also think that I, it was at mile 10, I was kind of able to just like remind myself, like, this is Boston. This is the thing that I've been working for. Like, you're not going to drop out of this race. Like you've just, you've just got to, got to get there. And, and I was still like very negative and hard on myself. I'm not going to tell you that, like, I found a magical way to get positive And like, I made the most out of that race. I think one of the reasons why I'm so excited to go back to Boston is to like run that race and ha- and be and like enjoy it. Um, I think I kind of put my head down and just like grinded my way to the finish line and like I was crying, but not in like not in the same way that I was crying at Mountains to Beach. I was kind of just like sad and disappointed that like what I had like the dissonance between kind of what you think is going to happen and then what just happened. Um, that was really like really uncomfortable for, for a while. Um, and shortly thereafter is what sparked me to, to reach out to, to David in the hopes of, of being able to be coached by him. And you mentioned that you were a people pleaser or are a people pleaser. So (laughs) how does that affect your relationship with your coach from being from, from communicating openly with David about not only how you feel after specific workouts or over a sustained period of time, but how you feel about the way he's coaching you 
and, you know, how things are progressing. Right. I think that's such a good question. I think, you know, he, in many ways, is more like a life coach than a, than a run coach. Um, and I think, I think that's true for, for most, like, really great coach-runner relationships. Um, he definitely, like, I mean, we, we talked about this from, from the get-go. Um, and, you know, he, we talked about that I'm, like, a fairly anxious person um, and that I, that I am someone who just kind of wants to please people. And so I think him knowing that, um, you know, he, he rarely will in my, like, training log say to me, like, hey, I want you to go out and, like, hit these specific paces. It's much more like, hey, um, we're going to do a 10-mile workout and I want you to, to find, like, four miles at this effort, um, and so like that effort might be very different day to day. Um, and sometimes it's related to like to heart rate. So if I'm particularly stressed, um, and David is always reminding me that like your body doesn't know miles, it only knows stress. So that means that like work stress plays into run performance. And I always have to kind of remind myself of that. Um, so if I'm in a, a, a place where I'm like particularly stressed out, you know, he'll give me like a heart rate cap, you know, go out your easy pace can be no, your heart rate can, you know, rise above no higher than this. And even for this like harder effort, like don't let your heart rate get above this or stay in this range. Um, and I think that's really helpful because I think for me, you know, for some people having a coach that says like, Hey, we want to hit one minute at, you know, six fifteen pace, like that would be great. And they would, they would be able to do that. But for me, it's like, if I don't get that, if I don't hit that each thing, each time, um, it just spirals really, really quickly. Um, and so having it be much more effort-based is really good. Um, and I think the other thing that he does is just really focus on the process. So like there's not a huge celebration of like one workout um, because then the absence of that celebration when a workout doesn't go well kind of would, I don't know, play into, I think, me being a people pleaser. So it's more just like the same level of exclamation points and excitement is there for like a run that was really hard for me to get through. Um, and in some, in some cases, I think he's more proud um, and is more excited when I kind of just grind it out and, and show up rather than, than the ones that like are like good. Right. Cause that's, that's the, that's the pitfall, right? right. You have, have one of those negative runs. Totally. Being able to bounce back from it and not yeah. linger on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, sometimes he'll just say like, just go out, go out there and have fun, go out there and run like a puppy, go out there and, or, or he'll say like, this run is not going to be fun. You know, if he, a lot of in the build up to, to mountains to beach and to cascade, um, he would have me do like my long run and then at like 10 to 12 mile or the next day. And like that run the next day was like never going to feel good. And so he would just kind of like remind me of that. Like, it's not supposed to feel good. Like this part is just like put on a podcast, um, you know, listen to the rambling runner and get hey, it. Hey. <laughs> We're here for you, Bridget. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. And then I've had, you know, and then I've had a bunch of coaches over the years. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that, part of the, the, the thing for me, and this is a reflection on me, not any of the coaches I've ever had, uh, right. past or present, um, is just the idea of when to speak up when, you know, things are hard. Yeah. Right. Because for me, it's always like, all right, I know this is supposed to be hard on some level, and I don't yeah. want to sound like someone who isn't tough or yeah. not willing to work and grind it out, mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time, 
I also want to be open and honest because I know they need me to be in order to set the best plan possible. Do you find yourself struggling with that same sort of thing? Oh my gosh, exactly. I think the thing that, that, that David often pushes back on the most is like, I want to present a positive picture. So like, I'll kind of have like immediately after a bad run, I'll have revisionist history and be like, that wasn't that bad. And like, I I survived. So like, it's fine. And so then in my log, I'll write like, uh, struggle a little bit, but like feeling great, like glad I got it done. And he knows me well enough now to be like, how are you really feeling? Like, (laughs) did you, I don't, I don't really believe you. Um, and so I think having that honesty and having someone who can kind of call me out when I, when I'm kind of trying to, to put like a happier patina over things or, and I think, you know, this, this feels like, um, or there, there kind of is to me, like, you know, I think everything can get interpreted as pressure, but you know, the more you're kind of telling me like, relax and have fun with it. Like if I'm not in a good mental place, then it's, you know, it's kind of like, if you're about to cry and someone's like, don't cry, don't cry. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm happy. I'm having fun. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Um, and it doesn't really, it doesn't really seep in. And the, the more you kind of try to push it, the more it, it, it feels like it's getting further and further away from you. So, um, you know, for me, I have to, I have to really be honest with David about, um, and honest with myself, I think also, like if I'm struggling mentally, like that's okay. And I think um, the other thing that I kind of struggle with is like, I think in running a lot of times we feel like it's okay if you're physically injured, like, Oh, I'm, I'm having shin pain. I'm having, you know, uh, Achilles pain, but, um, the same isn't necessarily for like kind of that mental pain. Like I'm not physically hurt, but like, this is just feeling a lot harder than it should. Um, and so I think for me, it's just been like really trying to be honest about like physically I am fine, but like something is getting, is getting in, in the way of me performing at the ability that, that I, that I think I should or, or could on another day. Right. All right. So let's get into your lead up to mountains to beach because yeah. it seemed like from afar yeah, that it went really well. Yeah. So, so it's funny. I had like, it was, everything was going really well. I did my first 20 mile. And I remember saying to David, like, I haven't done a 20 miler in like a year. Um, I have no idea what like paces I'm going to hit. And he just said like, just go out there and like, feel it out. You know, like you'll, you'll find it. And I ended up averaging 733 pace and it felt like whoa easy. And I was like, I had a blast. I was like high-fiving like random strangers. I was just on cloud nine. Um, but then, then I had a benchmark, right? And so now every other run that I go out where I'm supposed to hit a marathon pace that isn't 733 or faster, I'm thinking to myself, like, you're failing. You're not. What's wrong with you? Like, why aren't you getting there? Um, and so actually the next two 20 milers that I did, um, I think one was like 745 pace and one was like 755 pace. And so having still, still really good, still really good. But you know, I'm clinging to that 733 thinking like that's in my wheelhouse. Like, why can't I get there? Or why am I not as like the training cycle goes on even getting faster? Um, and you know, you can kind of compare yourself to other people on Strava, compare your, I had actually leading up to, or in at mountains to beach, um, we had a group of eight runners going. So so most of those were people, um, from the swap team and then a few of my friends. Um, and so, you know, they, you know, we're all kind of comparing and, 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 and that when you're not in a good headspace, um, is not, is not a good idea. Um, and so I kind of got felt started just feeling really kind of concerned about where I, where I was at. Um, 
and but just kind of clinging to that to that one really fast um uh 20 miler and so i'm still like hoping for like a a 319 um but you know i think i think the thing that i that i often forget is that like running you know, kind of my physical state doesn't create a good mental state. Like my mental state creates kind of the physical state that I'm in. Um, and I just Can you was, say that again? That yeah. was so good. Yeah. Can you say that again? That was fantastic. Yeah. So um, my, I think I often kind of think that like physically I can create a good mental space. Um, but I think for me and maybe for many others that it's actually the other way around that like mentally where you're at is going to create how you feel physically. Um, and so that was something that became very obvious, um, at the beginning of of mountains to beach that I like mentally was not in a good place to perform physically. Um, and then the opposite became very true at Cascade where mentally I was in a really, really good place. Um, and physically that, that, that came, that shined through. So was your goal setting mechanism going into mountains to beach so you've talked about yeah. your three 20 mile runs which were all sub eight yeah which when you think about your previous marathon pr right you were you were demolishing yeah your 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 previous 20 milers that yeah. you've done prior to the boston marathon i'm assuming oh yeah the time you ran yeah um so in a vacuum that looks great yeah so Obviously, there more, there's more that goes into goal setting, especially when you're setting these goals. So if you start set the goals at the beginning of the marathon lead up cycle, as opposed to setting it like you know two days before the marathon once the taper is over. Just just walk me through how you guys, you know, how you set your goals and when you set them. Yeah. So David's very reluctant to to set goals until like you're you're pretty close to like uh, we're talking about time goals. Um, you know, he's always just like, hey, the goal the goal is to have fun. The goal is to 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 focus on like the training as it is today. The race is just the celebration of the training. So focus on on the race on your run today, and like we'll talk about it later. Um, and so and how does that work for you? Uh, I think it is the like the best thing for me, I definitely wouldn't want the alternative, but you know, if we're being, if we're being completely honest and, you know, David knows this as well, like I have in the back of my head things that times that I want to achieve. And so, you know, once I hit that 733, 20 miler, then, you know, I start having, you know, fantasies of, of 315 to 319 dancing around in my head. Um, And so, you know, he and I aren't talking about it, but, or we're not like, he's not giving me workouts based on that. He's giving me again, just like pace or effort based workouts. Um, but that's kind of what I think like, Oh, you're capable of this. Um, and so then going into it, you know, he, he's very much, uh, of the mentality of like, okay, go out, go out easy and like find something, find something that feels easy. Um, you know, find, if you can find people that you can run with, like start having conversations with the runners around you, like kind of distract yourself. Um, one of the like swap philosophies or, or mottos is like, you know, thank every, every volunteer be the like happiest person who's running out there, you know, just start smiling. And so he's, as we're kind of, tapering he's reminding me of those things and i'm kind of thinking like oh like what pace groups are there um like who should i who should i be going out with and so i'm taking it far more seriously and he's kind of trying to pull me back to like hey like just have fun with it and and if you if you focus on having fun if you focus on on making this a celebration then like the the times that you want will come will come from there 
Um, is that your dog in the background? That's my dog in the background. He's making I'm some sorry. great noises. <laughs> He's a Frenchie, so he has like it's like monster noises. It's not really a dog. It's like if you had yeah, if you had told me that was a dog before we got on, I would have never guessed. But that's great. <laughs> yeah it's it's he's funny he's definitely a funny dog <laughs> all right so 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 as you're ending your taper yeah and you've gone from okay we're doing this all on effort and yeah. we're taking a holistic approach to training this is yeah. not you know this is not a data dump into strava that we're taking yeah. a long-term holistic approach here but then once marathon day is here you have to have some sort of pace plan i'm yeah. assuming yeah. so when so what what was the pace that was set out by him um, so he, for that day? yeah yeah so so at, and keep in mind, like, you know, he's continuing to tell me, like, hey, have fun with it. Like, let's just, like, take it easy, da 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 And I'm starting to go a little bit rogue. Like, I'm, you know, have these these, these very specific, aggressive um, ideas, ideas in my head. Um, and so his, his plan um, was, hey, go out with the 325 pacer. Um, if you feel good at the half, then you can start to, then you can start to drop them. Um, you know, and, and go, um, keeping in mind that Mountain Stew Beach has a, at, I think mile 24, I never got there, but I think at mile 24, um, there's a little hill, a little grinder. So, you know, leave something for the end and know that that's coming mentally. So that's, that's what, that's like as, as specific as he, as he got with me and as specific as he gets with like most of his, um, most of his, his racers. Um, and, uh, what ended up happening was uh, I felt awful the night before. Um, I'm kind of like, you know, uh, talking to, to the other runners that are staying at the house that I'm at. And, you know, they're all like, oh, you can run this, you can run that. And I'm thinking, and like, they're saying like, your training has been great. And all of this should be just making me feel more and more confident. Um, but I'm kind of allowing it to, to feel or I'm, you know, taking it and, and interpreting it as pressure. Like, oh, they're not, like, they're expecting me to run way faster than 325. So this um, is just like Boston all over again. Totally, totally. <laughs> I've learned nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then when we got there, race day, I felt I, I could barely eat my breakfast. And, like, eating is usually not a problem for me. Um, and I just was feeling, like, really, really nervous. Uh, and I got, I went to find the 325 pacer and it turns out that my bib, the 325 pacer was right at the, at the start of the, of wave two. And my bib was for wave one. And I should have just said to the volunteer, like, no, 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 I'm going to stick to wave two. But again, it's like, (laughs) as stupid as it is, I'm like, this volunteer expects me to be in wave one. So I'm going to go into wave one. And so I jump into wave one and I'm, I'm at the back of wave one, but I'm, I'm now by myself. Um, and you know, I'm someone who will check my watch way, way, way too much. So a pacer is great for me. Um, but as I started off, you know, I'm constantly checking my watch and looking at it and it's, it's not telling me the number or it's tell, you know, at the beginning I was running the paces that I wanted to, but it wasn't feeling as easy as it should. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, a lot of research has been done about like the mental fatigue and how that plays into it. Like they say, like, you shouldn't be doing math as you're running a race because that actually leads to mental fatigue. And of course, I'm, you know, constantly looking at my at my pace and like thinking about estimated, um, you know, finish line projections based on where I'm at. And I'm I'm just overthinking the whole thing. And, and it, it fell up. The wheels came off really quickly. Yeah, so how does the just going by the 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 topography of the course yeah so i know it's 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 most mostly downhill it's like a net downhill yeah what what does the first few miles look like 
Yeah. So the first, I think it's the first five miles you kind of, you start in downtown Ojai, um, which is up the hill from where you, where you finish, you finish in Ventura and you run a loop and that loop does have a little bit of a, of an uphill and it has an out and back. Um, or you kind of, you, I guess it's on an out and back, you kind of, but you do cross, cross paths with the rest, with the rest of the racers. Um, and so I'm, I'm going out. I'm feeling okay. I see actually my, my teammate is, she's the first female. Awesome. I see my like other friends there, like they're where they should be in terms of, of being ahead of most of these, these uh, runners were guys. And so they're all, they all wanted to, to be cute. So they're all in front of the, the three hour pacer, which is, which is great. And, um, and, you know, I think I'm kind of where I'm at, but I'm, already very very much in my head um and then you you come back through Ojai and then you start to, to start to descend um and I think the descent starts around like mile eight um and so you were already kind of feeling bad yes. by the time the descent came yes and so the descent comes and I kind of know and I'm expecting it and I'm like okay like now it should start feeling easy and it's not feeling easy and then that's when I really start to panic and think like oh no oh no um actually so what was so what was not feeling easy i'm sorry to cut you off but we've talked before in this show about the difference between mental pain yeah or you know you know and maybe pain is too strong for a word here but you know kind of like the mental you'll just go with pain the mental pain versus the physical pain right this is all mental this was all mental so what exactly was causing what was was it was it just was it perceived effort yes yeah I think so. So it's starting, you know, the sun, the first little bit, the sun is, is not out yet. And now the sun is like on me. I don't run well in the heat. And so like, I'm starting to feel that like sense of like my skin is cooking. Plus I'm already like breathing pretty like harder than I should be. I can feel my heart rate going. And then that all becomes like a negative feedback loop. I think once you kind of start to focus on your breath and it's, and it's, and it's more labored than you think that it should, then you start to like feel that, then it gets into my head and I'm like, why are you breathing so hard? Stop breathing so hard, which of course doesn't work. Um, And, and so it's, it's, it's all mental, but you know, every, everyone knows that mental, like that mental anguish manifests, it feels physical. So like my legs are feeling like lead, um, like my stride is feeling very labored, you know, it feels like it should at mile 22, but it's not even mile 10. However, a year <laughs> earlier, you yeah. had a very similar experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so just comparing and contrasting, what do you think, what about the Boston marathon allowed you to get to the finish line where it mounts to beach? You called it quits at the 18 mile mark. Yeah. So I think with, with Boston, it, the, like, the goal was to get there, and then the goal was to like run that race. And yes, I wanted to like run an amazing race, but I also felt like, okay, if I don't run an amazing race, like, I think I can get back here. With Mountains to Beach, the goal was to like PR and get to, and get to Boston. And so as my time is, is slowing because I'm feeling like crap, I'm realizing I'm not going to get to Boston. And if I'm not going to get to Boston, then like maybe I should just call it and hope that I can like that I've saved my body enough that I could give this another shot. Did you start the race with that plan B, a potential plan B in mind? Oh, you know, it's, I, I don't want, like, I never thought I would DNF a race. Um, but I will say that like when things didn't start to feel good, when it started to get to go down, like the race started to go downhill, I didn't, I, I was kind of waiting for that moment. And when things didn't start to feel good, like 
that's definitely the one one of the first things that I thought about was like, should I just bail? Um, and when I saw my boyfriend at mile 13, I was like, maybe I should just bail here. And, you know, but he was like, you look great. You're fine. Like, keep going, keep going. And I just felt like I should keep going. I should keep going. Um, and how far off pace were you at that point? I wasn't that far off pace, but it just, but it was, it was like, oh, if you feel, if you're, if this is feeling this hard at mile 13, like you're not going to come back. You're not going to neg- you're certainly not going to negative split this and like, it is going to it just the, the chance of you being able to kind of grind this out and hold this are getting fewer and fewer. Now, when you hit mile 18, yeah. you pressed kind of like quit on, on your watch. Yeah. Sat down. Oh. What was, what were the first <laughs> things you were thinking about? Obviously you're, you're yeah. upset. You're sad. Yeah. You know, you're crying. You're, you know, you, you wrote this. I'm not making this up. Anyone yeah. was like, Matt, yeah. why, why would you presume she was crying? <laughs> you, you wrote that you yeah. cried at that moment. Oh, yeah. Um, what was the most, I guess, what, what, what was foremost in your mind that made you sad? Yeah. Was it, was it the people pleaser part or was it the dashed expectations part? So, so I think one of the reasons why I ended up dropping out exactly at mile 18 was actually I saw one of my teammates um, and she had dropped out. And so as soon as I saw her, I was like, I felt, I think, a little bit of permission, like, and she's much faster than I am. So I was like, whoa, if Jess dropped out, like, then, like, dropping out is an option. I can do that. Um, and maybe I should do that. And so I will say that, like, there's a moment of relief. And then the, then the emotions just start coming. And I do think that it was just, like, more about, like, the disconnect between the expectation for that day and what was actually happening than than necessarily the people pleaser part. And I think the people pleaser part came afterwards when it was like, Ooh, like, what am I going to say to David? Like, what do I, now I have to go not have to, but like, now I'm going to go to brunch and like all of my friends who had great races, like, what are they going to like think of me? Um, and, you know, again, they don't, they didn't care, like, and ended up having, like, great conversations with them, which I think sparked my ability to, like, recover from this race much more quickly than um, I think I would have um, otherwise, but um, yeah, it kind of came in waves. Um, but one thing that my, actually, Jess said to me, we're, you know, both standing there, and I'm kind of crying, is she said, like, remember that we do this for fun. Like, I, she said, I dropped out because it wasn't fun. And I think that kind of like reminded me like, oh yeah, like I'm not a pro runner. Like I do do this for fun and I kind of got it. I need to find a way to get back to that place in training and in racing. Now, did you ever have the thought that maybe just marathons weren't going to be fun? Obviously we, (laughs) spoiler alert, we already know what happens at Cascade. Yeah. At that moment, were you thinking like, Hey, all right, she brings up a good point. Things yeah. should be fun. My last two marathons were not fun. Yeah. Like maybe just marathoning isn't the answer here. Maybe there's a lot of other races out there. Maybe I should explore those. That's so, that's such a, that's such a good point. And like, I've had since training with David, like I've had such good, like I've PR the 5k, PR the 10k, PR the half marathon. Like I've had great races at every other distance. Um, but honestly, there's something about the marathon and like, I, for whatever reason, it's kind of absurd to say out loud. Like I think of myself as a marathoner. And so it never once crossed my mind to be like, I'm just not going to do this. It was like, I have to crack this nut. Like I have to figure out how to run a marathon. Well, run a marathon that I'm proud of. And like, I, I had done it before. I mean, the marathon that I, that I ran to qualify for Boston, like 
I was so proud of that. I just felt like that time wasn't reflective of, of where I was in my fitness. And so I kind of was like, you can do this. You just need to like, remember that you can do this and, and find a way back to that place. There you have it. That is part one of my conversation with Bridget Bradford. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, in a few days, we'll putting out, we'll be putting out, I'm sorry, part two of this conversation. So thank you, Bridget, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, since I'll be putting this out on Friday. Weekend is right around the corner. I uh, hope you have a wonderful weekend and happy running.